0: Welcome to Slow Stories. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, the founder of Connected Editorial and the host and creator of this podcast. For those of you just joining in, Slow Stories is a series that deep dives into the rising slow content movement. In each of these episodes, I interview brand builders, entrepreneurs, and creative professionals who share what slow content means in the context of what they're building and why slowing down and creating thoughtful stories is more important than ever. Today's episode begins with an opening story from Alexandra Fine via our segment Soul Stories. We're currently looking for contributors for our next installment of the series, so feel free to reach out for more information. And in the meantime, here's more from Alexandra.
1: My name is Alexandra Fine, I'm the CEO of Dame Products. Uh, we specialize in creating tools and products content for our well-being through the lens of intimacy and pleasure. And this is a poem I find myself coming back to often when I'm just looking to reconnect with what makes me feel alive and human and animal. Okay. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, across the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to you, your imagination, called to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Mary Oliver, Wild Geese.
0: Thanks so much again to Alexandra for sharing. Again, the poem she read was Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. Now, here's my conversation with Ali Kriegsman of Bulletin. Sometimes, in order to affect change, it's a matter of starting over and building anew. Ali Kriegsman understands this idea in more ways than one. As an inherently curious and creative person, Allie has been building a life and career that's encompassed her varied interests, which range from writing to music and community building. These passions eventually culminated in her role as the co-founder and COO of Bulletin, a curated wholesale marketplace with a mission to democratize retail for brands and optimize retail for stores. Like Allie's journey, Bulletin's path is also one that's been built on evolution but despite its many iterations, storytelling remains a constant for Bulletin and has provided a foundation for the business to endure with each of its exciting chapters. In fact, Ali recently chronicled this and more in her forthcoming book, How to Build a Goddamn Empire, a dual memoir meets guidebook that outlines Ali's experiences and features varying perspectives on the realities of modern entrepreneurship. This aspect has become especially important to Ali as she and her team face the uncertainties brought on by COVID-19 and an increasingly tumultuous political climate. Yet even as our collective story is on the precipice of massive change, Ali's work shows us that we all have the potential and responsibility to build a new way of living and working in our interconnected age. In this interview, Ali shared more about her relationship with storytelling, her observations as a B2B founder and what she's learned about establishing boundaries both online and offline. This interview is filled with incredible insight, so without giving too much more away, here's Allie Kriegsman of Bulletin.
2: I'm Allie Kriegsman. I am the co-founder and COO of Bulletin, which is a platform that allows brands to expand offline and get their products into retailers all around the country um but i love that you're asking who i am above and beyond that um and maintaining an identity outside of work and outside of bulletin is something i have really tried to focus on since launching the business and i will say it definitely increasingly gets harder and harder over time as the business starts to absorb more and more of your life and your world um but outside of bulletin I am a creative, Um, I love to write, I love to read, Um, I write poetry, I write creative fiction, Um, I have a book coming out next year, which is nonfiction, but was really excited about that, Um, you know, really allowed me to kind of flex other parts of my brain and uh, my psychology that I don't necessarily get to use at work all the time. Um, I love my friends and family. I love spending time with them. Obviously, that's been harder lately with COVID, but I love hosting big dinners at my house. I love getting people from all different walks of life and all different friend groups together. Um, I love the outdoors. I grew up in California, so I absolutely love the beach. I love being near the water Uh, My absolute favorite thing to do is just bring a book down to the beach, get really close to the shore and just sit there out in the sun (laughs) for hours. Um, I went to a Jewish day school my entire life. Um, So I actually had uh, a very small community growing up um, and going to college and meeting new people, meeting people from all around the country um, was a really kind of big moment in my personal development. Um, And when I graduated college, I actually made a documentary about um, Israel education in Jewish day schools. I was a modern Middle Eastern studies major. I'm really passionate about, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm passionate about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but that's something like politically that I think about all the time and that I've done some work on uh, with the documentary and also just um, keeping it top of mind politically. what else can I share? I'm a singer. Um, I started a band two years ago called Ladylike. We're actually on Spotify. It's like 80s inspired electro pop. Um, I love writing music. I have a piano at home. My boyfriend and I write jingles like every other day after we make dinner. We just kind of pull up to the piano and get a song going. Um, So yeah, I, I guess I consider myself like pretty multifaceted. It's definitely been interesting to kind of become this person that is really focused on like retail, wholesale, e-commerce, and represent my business in that way. But I'm on a constant journey of, you know, rediscovering myself and tapping into those other parts of me that I don't get to engage with, you know, all the time working so hard for the business day in and day out.
0: Wow. I didn't know half of that, actually. That's all really, really incredible but i think that all of your kind of creative identities and skills are the foundation for what makes bulletin so interesting because at its core it's it's such a business's business so to speak but it's also very inviting creatively
2: thank you it's been a really exciting 5 years and i think it's also been a journey and and i'm sure we're going to get into this but It's definitely been a journey, um, you know, building a business, building the business in a way that feels true to myself and Alana, but also has to factor in, you know, the fact that we're a venture-backed business and we do have certain growth benchmarks and, you know, how do you hit those goals but still remain, you know, true to yourself as leaders and how do you keep the business culture in a place that feels organic to who you are, Um, So it's definitely been, I'm glad to hear that because it's been, um, I wouldn't say an ongoing battle, but definitely a very deliberate uh, strategy and, and focus for us of building the brand in a way that feels like authentic to who Alana and I are as people and as creatives ourselves.
0: Smart and engaging, and I wouldn't expect anything less from you guys. And I think, you know, as we transition our conversation into talking more about Bulletin, I also want you to first share a story that recently made you slow down or maybe reshaped your approach to building a business like Bulletin more consciously, especially during this period.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, when when COVID hit, it became very clear that Bulletin was in the eye of the storm. Um, we are a wholesale marketplace. Um, we're so much more than that, of course, but the core of our business is Retailers come to our platform to discover new brands and products that they want to sell to their respective customers and their boutiques or spas or wellness centers or gift shops. Um, and so, you know, as soon as COVID happened, it was very clear that our retailers would be struggling. Um and, you know, for the first few weeks of COVID, it was a little bit business as usual at Bulletin. Um, you know, we kept sending our email, our emails out to retailers, marketing new brands and products. We kept uh, sending emails, inviting new retailers to join Bulletin. We kept, you know, motivating our brand community to refer their existing retailers to Bulletin. And we didn't really put a hard stop on our growth engine, um, again, because of how we're financed and the type of business that we've built uh, you do have very serious goals to hit. And it it definitely became a question of at what cost to our brand and retailer community. Um, and just hearing stories from our retailers of how COVID was affecting their business, um, hearing the fear on their end of how, how the pandemic could impact their ability to put food on the table and support their families, um, hearing all these these different ways that retailers were bending over backwards to try to, you know, scale their online retail platform or uh prepare for curbside pickup once that became available. I mean, retailers were firing on all cylinders to, you know, keep their businesses alive and um, you know, healthy enough through this whole situation. Um, and so very quickly Alana and I decided to kind of shut down our email marketing um, shut down our emails to new retailers, inviting them to join the platform. Shut down the uh, email messaging we were sending to our brands, asking them to invite retailers into Bulletin. And we really pivoted our strategy against, you know, how do we help brands and retailers get through this tough time? And we don't know how long this tough time is even going to last. So, how do we kind of become more of a partner in their success, not just with wholesale and with transactions on the site, but um, how do we provide them the information and resources that they are going to need and find useful to get through this? Um, and I think for me, just having that really high touch point with the retailers, I can't name one specific story because they were all so impactful, but just getting on the phone with our customer um, really you know, motivated us to press pause on our normal growth strategy and build a strategy that met the moment. Um, in a way that felt helpful, but also genuine to the business.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the definition of partnership. And again, why a company like Bulletin has seen so much success just because of that authenticity and commitment to actually being there for the community. And since you've started this sort of pivot towards checking in on the community, has there been some sort of unexpected narrative that's arisen that's sort of come into the foreground now?
2: Yeah. It's been a really interesting few months. Um you know, we've we've had conversations with retailers that have been looted about what that's meant for their business. Um you know, really deep conversations about how to reconcile the fact that they're a small business that invested hard-earned money and savings into building their store, designing their store, getting incredible fixtures, you know, ordering inventory from our platform and elsewhere, um, and that you know, getting completely obliterated in, in, in one evening, um, and how, how they should be reconciling that or how they are reconciling that with the fact that they, they understand that looting happens when those that haven't been heard and voices that haven't been heard have no other choice but to take actions like that. Um, and they fully respect that and see that and support you know the Black Lives Matter movement. They support the protests. um, but it's been really interesting to kind of connect with our retailers on that level and hash out like, what where do we go from here? How do you, as a small business, uh, emotionally deal with the fact that your space has been completely destroyed? um you know, where there's money down the drain, and of course, you know, many of them have insurance, others, Never have foreseen this happening, so they don't really have the proper mechanisms in place to recoup their losses. Um, but just chatting with our retailers about that has been, you know, something that I I never thought running a B two B wholesale platform we'd ever we'd ever have that conversation. Um, so that's been really interesting. I think it's been really interesting to chat with our brands as well, um, and. Get really candid on that front too. You know, a lot of brands are struggling in certain categories. Uh, you know, jewelry brands or apparel brands. Um, you know, they're not they're not as necessary to the at home experience. Whereas, you know, wellness brands or pantry brands um, have kind of seen a surge in demand. And so it's been it's been really, been really interesting because it's some of these calls feel like I don't want to say therapy sessions because I I'm not a therapist and it's really you know, just kind of two partners checking in on each other, but to hear the varied experiences across the board for retailers and for brands, to hear brands say, "You know, I see a lot of other brands in my community really struggling, but my sales, both wholesale and d to c are higher than they've ever been, and I don't know you know how to how to deal with that when so many brands that I'm friends with aren't having the same experience. Um, it's just I feel like I'm in such a unique and special position to hear all of these stories and um, kind of sit in the middle of, of all these different experiences that our community has been having.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of this sort of speaks to the sort of dismantling of this notion, this narrative of how businesses operate, especially at this pace, which as we're seeing in 2020, you know, the way we've been living and working in many ways is unsustainable. And I think in the context of business, you know, we see a lot of the founder and brand success stories through the lens of the modern consumer brand. But with your experience growing Bulletin's wholesale business and marketplace, would you say that there's a different conversation around pace or energy on the B2B
2: side? Yes. I think across the board, all venture-backed companies are writing a new playbook as they're living the new playbook. So, you know pre the WeWork apocalypse um, and like their failed IPO, you know the the playbook uh, for software companies for even for venture backed D2c companies like you know the everlanes and glossiers of the world was you know blitz scale, grab market share don't worry about your unit economics yet uh, we'll get there. Um, don't worry about profitability yet we'll get there um and really just become the dominant player in this space whatever your space is whether it's you know you're making a a new razor right like billy or flamingo or uh you're a wholesale marketplace like us or our competitors or you know you're a venture back business that is you know d- dealing with physical space like the wing for example expanded so 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 quickly and you know, we're kind of seeing the ramifications of, of that now. Um, I think that founders and venture capitalists, whether it's with D2 C brands or uh, B2B software companies, are realizing that that approach to growth is that era is over. Um, we've seen enough companies that don't have a solid revenue model in place and aren't profitable go public and have it not yield the outcomes that anyone was hoping for. Um, we've seen companies that you know absolutely exploded and took crazy market share um, shrinking over time because they uh, skirted past certain regulations like Juul or Bird, like the scooter companies. And so I do think that across the board, the conversations we're having with our investors, what I'm hearing from other founders... Um, what I'm reading in the press, like all the think pieces are asking, what what is the new playbook? How do we, you know, build a venture-backed um, ecosystem that focuses on, you know, strong unit economics, profitability, uh, thoughtful growth, not necessarily no growth, but thoughtful growth. Um, and how do we kind of make that our new North Star so that companies don't absolutely fall apart? when this like grow at all costs playbook doesn't work out?
0: Yeah, it's been quite a reckoning, I think, for a lot of the companies and the faces that we're used to seeing. And I think from where I'm sitting, and part of the reason why I've really decided to go full force with Slow Stories is because I think the digital landscape and the kind of advent of online storytelling, whether it's personal or brand, has contributed to this frenzy and this need to outpace and break through the noise of a very saturated landscape. And you know, this year is really forcing us all to reassess why it's critical to slow down in all facets of our lives, and especially when it comes to content and digital. And so given where we're at with the current state of the world, I always like to ask our guests what this idea of slow content or storytelling means to them in the context of what they're building. So for you, what does it mean with bulletin?
2: Yeah, this is I'm actually writing a piece right now that that's going to be coming out in the next few months about the digitization of wholesale and how I feel like uh, you know, storytelling um has been completely erased from wholesale because of how quickly it's gone digital. Um, and so for us, you know, I think you know, we weren't first to market with our our wholesale marketplace. There are other players and the experience right now online is very much like uh, like the experience for a retailer ordering wholesale online right now is very similar to what a consumer experiences when they order off of Amazon. Um it feels very impersonal, it feels very transactional. Um And this is so contrary to what a a successful uh, wholesale relationship really looks like between a brand and a retailer. Um, We did for the past few months, like hundreds of interviews with our brands and retailers, and all of them say that they're most successful. All the brands say that their most successful retail partners are the ones that know their story, care about their story, and and can tell their story to their end customer. Um, You know, for a retailer to sell, anything from apothecary to jewelry, to uh, clothing, to their customer, they, you know, it's on them to know who founded those brands. Why are those brands or products special? How is the materiality or how are the ingredients unique and special? um, How does, how the product was made justify the price point? And retailers are kind of over, over time have lost the ability to do that effectively because the digitization of wholesale happens so quickly and it really started to feel like this amazon-esque like highly transactional experience between both parties. So for me, I've been thinking about and our team has been working on uh you know, how do you weave that storytelling and the intimacy that a brand and retailer would would feel when they connect person to person at a trade show? How do you mimic that on our site? How do you bring the humanity and the storytelling and the connection Back to the wholesale marketplace, um, how do we make sure that the brands are properly telling their story and what tools are we giving to do that? So we just launched video as a part of our wholesale marketplace and we launched a summer showcase yesterday actually specifically highlighting the black owned ba- brands on bulletin. Um, and we had this like really dynamic content rich video experience uh, where retailers could watch them on camera talking about themselves, talking about their business. And then go to their brand pages, learn more about the ingredients, the brand story, and then shop their lines for their own stores. Um, and I think that's really where Bulletin is headed. I think that this hyper transactional kind of utilitarian marketplace feel is effective um, when it comes to you know managing the transaction safely and in an organized way um, and just keeping that experience super efficient. Um, but I think there's this missed opportunity. um because that magic of you know finding a really exciting brand and learning about the owner and learning about the brand story is is something that's just kind of fell by the wayside as the digitization of wholesale has like rapidly taken over the industry. Um, so yeah, it's it's really something that we're thinking about day in and day out because we built bulletin on the backs of you know wholesale marketplaces that came before us um, we built it you know informed by, Really incredible commerce experiences like Amazon, uh, but upon talking to our brand and retailer community, we realized you know it it may be worth slowing down. It may be worth slowing down this transaction so that retailers really understand who these brands are and why they're incredible, and they're equipped with the information that they need to sell through that product on their website or in their stores with their end customer. Yeah.
0: And then it just creates more opportunity for a sustainable, ongoing
2: relationship. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas, you know, if you don't really broker that connection or build that intimacy between brand and retailer, you know, what, what is, what's holding the retailer back from just uh, never working with that brand again, never telling the brand why they decided to move on. We also launched direct messaging in June. Uh, so brands and retailers can actually have conversations with each other on Bulletin's platform. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that we've built and a lot that we're still building to um, you know, help our brands and retailers slow down as well.
0: I think it's such a wonderful example of content and technology on a broader scale being used as an actual tool to kind of broker a new approach to business. And as you probably know, just in the general culture of what we're experiencing content can also be really divisive. So I think it's incredible to see what you've been able to do with such a I mean you have such a relatively small team, right?
2: Yes, yes, very small yeah. team and and shrunk uh you know as covid hit. So it's it's not only a small team, it's also a team of incredible people like playing warrior over the past few months and you know, not only f- filling the role that they were hired for, but also taking on tasks and work that, um, you know, previously wasn't on their plate and and they're multitasking and they're doing it so gracefully.
0: Yeah. And I think to the point of building, you know, building teams and building this really strong network of collaborators and partners, you yourself are also building something just as a creative person especially through the lens of storytelling. And with that said, you mentioned that you wrote a book that will be published next year. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about flexing that muscle and what you've learned about your relationship with storytelling overall as a result of writing the book.
2: Such a good question. And honestly, I still get like emotional thinking about the book, both the experience of writing it and the fact that it it hasn't even come out yet. Um <laughs> so you know i I identify as a writer um I studied creative writing in college um I have written you know for refinery twenty nine um I wrote for medium a few times as bulletin kept growing and scaling um and that's really that's that's the muscle that I've known I've had since I was very young and um it's you know when when I was younger and if if you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I always wanted to say I wanted to be a writer or I wanted to be an author. Um, Bulletin actually started as a completely different business. It started as um, kind of an Etsy competitor, uh, a, like elevated, sophisticated marketplace where consumers could learn about the coolest independent brands, um, read their stories, and then shop their work throughout the story. So we ran that version of Bulletin part-time uh, for like all of 2015. And I would interview these brands and either write long form features on them or do interviews with them. Um, And as Bulletin evolved and we kind of learned more and more about our customer and what they really needed from us, and we started kind of shifting into physical retail and then, you know, now wholesale, um, throughout that evolution, I just kind of decided like my writing career, my writing aspirations are over. Like I have to say goodbye to that because I've signed on. To build this business with Alana, and I don't get to tell the business what it is. I don't get to say I want to keep writing editorial, like that's what our business has to be. Um, I have a fiduciary responsibility to Bulletin, and you know where our customers lead us, and and where and where and how they tell us to grow and evolve next. So once we got into doing our pop up markets, um, which then became our stores, I kind of felt like I'm I'm not going to write like that. That part of me is going to die. And you know I'm just an entrepreneur, I'm a sales and growth person and marketing person and that's who I am. Um, so when when I got the opportunity to write the book, um, it was such an emotional experience for me. I really I remember every single meeting, every single email that was sent leading up to getting the book deal. Um, I remember learning about the fact that I'd be writing this book and my mom had been in town she was in new york at the time and i just remember pulling her outside and just crying and screaming with her it was just this very exciting experience to realize that i could kind of merge my experience building bulletin and becoming this entrepreneur with you know my writing my my writing and creative side and this side that i really genuinely thought i had kissed goodbye and was kind of like mourning for for many years um and so I really felt like with, with this opportunity to write the book, I wanted to write from the trenches of entrepreneurship. I felt like a lot of other books that had been written, ranging from Girl Boss to Lean In, uh, that were kind of in this vein of like a female entrepreneur, you know, giving guidance or business advice or kind of anecdotes about her experience launching and scaling her company. I felt like all those books were written kind of from from on high. It was written by women that had already reached such incredible milestones in their career. Like looking back on their experiences with 2020 hindsight, and I really, I really felt so isolated and lonely, and both depressive and ecstatic, and you know, going through this roller coaster of entrepreneurship, I felt like I hadn't read a book from someone that was living it in real time. Um, and so that's what the book is. It's it's basically um, a kind of survey view of me and Alana's story, um, ideating and thinking about bulletin, getting it off the ground, pivoting, pivoting yet again into the wholesale marketplace. And all of that is written, you know, very close to when the events actually transpired. Um, And then obviously I understand that, you know, for Alana and me as two, you know, white female founders, not everyone is going to read and relate to our story. So it became really important that I brought in other voices and interviewed other female founders for this book because I want any woman who's starting an Etsy shop or a Shopify store, uh, a consulting service, whatever she's building, whether it's part-time, full-time, I want her to feel um, like she can see herself in these other founders that are a few paces ahead of her. Um, I want her to read the book and feel inspired and feel like if they can do it, I can do it. Um, And so for that reason, it was really important that I integrated stories from founders of you know various ethnicities, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, uh, founders that are running their businesses part-time. Some founders in the book are running their businesses full-time. Some are venture backed, some crowd sourced uh, to finance their businesses. Um, and so it really kind of gives the reader this like broad view of the different ways that business businesses get started, um, how to build your brand and how to think about building your brand. Uh, there's definitely like an emotional and psychological component of what it feels like to be in the trenches and experience failure as a founder. A lot of those chapters were written on the heels of failures that I was actually living at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of see it as this like raw, vulnerable, candid book on, on female entrepreneurship that doesn't, that hasn't really existed to date. Um, and there's just a lot of actionable advice for women that are trying to get started that are trying to get something off the ground. Um, it's called How to Build a Goddamn Empire, which is meant to be a little bit cheeky because I think that all the women featured in the book, whether they're you know a teacher that's running an Etsy uh, business over the weekends, or you know a venture-backed business that's like on the cusp of you know selling to Unilever or something, all of those all of those entrepreneurs are building empires. Sure, they're of varying stages and sizes, but uh one of my favorite quotes in the book is that no one is spared no one is spared the roller coaster ride of mastery and euphoria and uh like depression and defeat um and so the book kind of tells tells my story experiencing that and then also uh tells the story of about 30 40 other female founders um and what their experiences have been like running their businesses
0: I'm so excited for it. It seems like a very raw and real guidebook to what it means to build an empire. And I think, you know, just sort of thinking about the word or the idea of empire, we're just seeing that phrase have new life brought into it with the influx of all of the changes that business owners are enduring right now. And I do think generally we're experiencing a time of transformation and hopefully just heading in a more inclusive direction. And I also love the fact that building is something that's very central to all of your endeavors. And so as we endure this global crisis on all fronts, is there anything that you hope to reassess or rebuild
2: in your community or life? That's that's a really good question. Um, I think that, you know, and this and, and this is only speaking for me. This isn't speaking for Alana or this isn't speaking really for the business, but I think you know something that came up a lot in the book um, that's really stuck with me through through the past few months is um, something that founder and poet Jasmine Manns shared with me that I included in the book. Is um, you know she basically shared that as a new entrepreneur um, and as a black woman, which is also something I I can't relate to, but. What she what she says, I think is will resonate with a lot of people. She said, you know, she experienced a, a long period in growing her business where she she felt like she had to defer to her mentors. She felt like she had to defer to her elders. She in her gut um would feel that there was a certain path that she should be taking with the business or that. Um, you know, there's like a certain decision that had to be made, but then she would connect with other people in her network that had way less insight into the mechanics of her business or her brand who would tell her what to do. And she felt automatically like, okay, I need, I should, I should do what they say that I should do because they know better because they have certain accolades or because they're older or they, you know, have been in this industry longer. And this beautiful thing that she shared uh, in the chapter about imposter syndrome was this notion that you you need to believe that you can actually mastermind your future. You need to internalize that. You need to really understand and accept that that's true. Um, And you need to move away from deferring to advice from people that are older than you or advice from people that you hold in such high esteem or advice from people that you put on a pedestal, because you know yourself best, you know, your customers best, you know, your business best, and you are the captain of this ship. You are the one that dictates where you go from here. And you have all the knowledge and mastery and tools to make that happen. Um, And I think her, her experience reaching that point is just rang so true to me. I feel like, Female founders in particular um, go through that experience uh, very frequently, um, but I think that's where I'm at. Like through the end of this this crisis, um, you know, it was Alana and my decision to put a stop on our growth, you know, at the expense of our fundraising timeline and this and that, um, to be there for our brand and retailer community. You know, it wasn't in our best interest to stop pushing sales on our retailers. It wasn't in our best interest to kind of turn certain parts of our growth engine off, but it was in our customer's best interest. And we are a customer first pair and we're a customer first company. Um, And so not to say that we were getting like aggressive pressure from our investors or from anyone else, but it's, you know, it's always there. Um, If you, if you're running a venture backed business, you have certain targets, even if people aren't, you know, waving a finger at you to make a different decision or go in a different direction, that pressure is always there. Um, so I think that returning to us and returning to our goals and returning to, you know, the pace that we want to grow the business and returning to um our authenticity and what we truly see as the future of retail and the future of wholesale um has been has been like a, a new guiding light for us. And I I really would say that prior to COVID, like January, February, we were still on our on our old, you know, tried and true hamster wheel. Um, so it's, it's been really, really nice for her and I to kind of align on that. Um, and I think, I think it means that, that good things are coming our way if we, if we stick to our gut.
0: Yeah. And I think too, as we kind of return to, or make the decision to actively choose other ways of thinking about how things are supposed to be done, we're also giving ourselves permission to ask questions about things that might not have been status quo and also ask questions of each other and of ourselves. And I think a lot of us, you know, I don't want to say that we're afraid to, but maybe we didn't have the headspace to dive into some of these things head on before this time. So, with that being said, I'm wondering if there's one question that you hope people start asking you
2: more often
0: as we kind of navigate the next phase of this time?
2: I think it's really important for people to ask, why am I doing this on a personal level? Um, I remember graduating college and I had done on-campus recruiting and I got a job offer as um, an analyst uh, at an asset management company, (laughs) which for (laughs) anyone who knows me you're like that really doesn't make sense and the truth is it didn't make sense and I accepted the job offer and then I really asked myself why am I doing this and the reason I was doing it was because I had experienced a lot of financial instability for many years and I looked at the offer I looked at the salary and I was like oh my god this is like more money than I ever have made in my life uh and I was really interested in that financial security um I felt insecure and stressed about not having a job locked in after school. I went to a really competitive college and, you know, everyone was like asking each other, like, where are you going? What are you doing after you graduate? Like, who are you working for? Blah, blah, blah. And I wanted an answer. Um, And thirdly, I did it because I think it was just like expected of me. I felt like people that knew me um, and kind of watched me come up through college had a certain image of me and i i couldn't be the girl that took a year off i couldn't be the girl that didn't have an, a, a job lined up i i wasn't the girl that didn't have her shit together and know what came next um and so when i answered all the, the that question that way of why am i doing this i realized that you know while all of those are are fair reasons and especially the financial piece was a fair reason um it just didn't sit right with me and i ended up calling the company and reneging on the offer and saying, I'm not going to work here. And I didn't have anything lined up. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have a fallback. Um, I had worked plenty of other, you know, odd jobs. I'd done retail jobs, barista jobs, hostessing. I, I knew that I'd be able to cobble money together somehow because I had done it before. Um, but asking myself that question, basically, uh, prevented me from getting on a path that I think would have been really inauthentic to who I am, and it it wouldn't have got me to where I am today um and so that's a question I hope people start asking. I feel like you know especially with social media, there's a lot of uh competitive culture, there's a lot of um you know, I'm doing X, Y, Z to impress my network culture. There's a lot of like, I want to get on the Forbes list or I want to, you know, get this accolade or that accolade. And so many people design their careers around those things. Um, And I feel like if people start asking themselves, you know, why am I doing this? And they answer the question very honestly, it may help, you know, put them on a career path that actually is more true to them, their strengths and and where they want to be long-term. Um, you know, at Bulletin, to be totally honest, like if you just look at our evolution as a business, like I signed up to be a writer with Bulletin. I was editor in chief of Bulletin's magazine five years ago. I wasn't building a two-sided marketplace and learning the nuances of supply and demand and, you know, uh, acquisition marketing and XYZ. Like that's not what I signed up for. Um, And that's a lot of my job now. And like, yeah, that that's sometimes wears me down because it's not the work that it's work I'm good at, but it's not work that fills me up in the same way that like writing does, let's say. But when I ask myself, why am I doing this? I have so many great answers. I'm doing it because I get to support small and independent businesses and help them grow. I'm doing it because I get to you know, democratize access to wholesale something that is otherwise seriously expensive and time-consuming for independent brands. I'm doing this because I'm an entrepreneur, and through my business, I get to support other entrepreneurs. I'm so fortunate that I get to wake up and do that every day. And so, even if the you know day-to-day or or certain nuances of my work don't you know bring me the utmost joy. Um, I have I have a good answer to that question. And so I feel like if people if people ask that question more and more and they they realize that they don't have a good answer, I think that's when you know it's time to make a change in your life and and slow down.
0: That's an amazing story and such a good point. And you know, one of the reasons why I ask this particular question. Is really just based off of my experiences speaking with so many founders and creative professionals over the years. I think that people, especially in the lens of our digital age, they expect that others want to hear a certain narrative from them in their life as a founder, or um, you know, just what it is what it's like to live that creative life. And I just hope that this question kind of gives people space to really go there in terms of the conversations that they want to have or start. Because I think another element seeing, you know, even more now is the performative aspect of social media and content. And we're all kind of peeling back the layers in terms of how this can be a little bit of a more inclusive and sustainable space. And that obviously is something that warrants an entirely other conversation. But, you know, to build on this a little bit, one of the things that I like to ask as one of my wrap up questions with each of these discussions is why do you think slowing down our relationship to content will ultimately help us live work and feel better
2: i um i have so much to say to that question um so you know we we all got on facebook before it is what it is now we wanted to connect with people in our community we wanted to connect with old friends with people that went to our high school with people that went to our college um you know we joined Instagram because it let us filter pictures. If you look at my early pictures on instagram it's like i it's not a so it wasn't a social media platform; it was like a design tool um and twitter i never really i never really joined um but similarly, there was this like you know really magical uh kind of um, i don't know like new, nuanced element to Twitter where it's like, oh, people are sharing their inner thoughts in this like very concise way. And like, I get to see what like, I I was going to say what Ashton Kutcher is thinking. I don't really care what Ashton Kutcher is thinking. (laughs) And I have no idea why his name came to mind, but you know, it was like this really, uh, it was kind of like peeling back the curtain and like hearing day to day from like thought leaders or celebrities or like people that you admired. And that's not what those platforms are anymore. Um, you know facebook Facebook has scaled and monetized by you know pushing incendiary headlines and increasing the uh you know like politicization of America and you know like further dividing different parts of the country and it's Instagram has become this you know barrage of You know, fitness tea content and fitness content, and this barrage of you know gossip content and uh, influencer content and spawn con and Twitter has just become you know the the polarizing epicenter of the news media and these platforms that we so kind of naively and. Warmly coddled up to many years ago when they first launched have betrayed us. I think in a lot of ways, Um, and it's it's up to us to recognize that because those platforms aren't going to change. Those platforms have built their businesses off the backs of everything that we just that I just discussed, and they're not incentivized to slow down. So we need to slow down. We need to build our own, you know, procedures and policies with ourselves. Uh, whether it's, you know, not logging on to Instagram for a certain period of time, or like really freshening up who you follow and who you want to hear from in your feed. Maybe it's deleting your Facebook, maybe it's, you know, um, only logging into Twitter, like certain parts of the day. Um, And then specifically, you know, looking for content and sources and creators that you want to be inspired by and hear from, rather than just getting fed people recommended to you you know it's on us to take that pause take a more proactive approach and slow down because it's all too easy for the status quo to stay as is and for us to just guzzle down and imbibe what all of these platforms are feeding us without second thought and i think that's extremely dangerous and i think you know that it's really contributed to the polarization that we're seeing countrywide. And I think it's also really contributed to the rising anxiety levels uh, that we're seeing amongst our generation and the generation below us.
0: That was Ali Kriegsman, co-founder of Bulletin and author of How to Build a Goddamn Empire. You can follow Bulletin online and on social media at Olatin.co. Allie herself is also a breath of fresh air online, so be sure to follow her as well at Ally Creeps. Stay tuned for highlights from this episode on our own social channels at Slow Stories Official on Instagram and Slow Stories Pod on Twitter. Thank you as always for listening. I'm Rachel Schwartzman, and I'll see you next week for another episode of Slow Stories.